welcome, welcome. We are in part two of this. Everybody say Joseph. Man, Joseph is awesome. If, you, if you've never read through uh, the life of Joseph, Joseph has got to be, to me, one of my favorite guys. I, I almost want to say he is the favorite guy outside of the life of Jesus. I always have dug me some Joseph, and here's why. It's because Joseph was always seemingly like put up against just incredible odds and difficult circumstances, and he always came out on top in the end. He always found a way to like press through and overcome and fight through. And so I don't know that I want to liken my life unto his. I think I want to model my life after his. Can I say it like that? And so this guy was in every bad type of situation. Last week we learned that he got stuck in the pit, that literally, uh, how many know uh, your family is funky? His family was probably worse because they were going to kill him. And then instead of killing him, they thought, well, if we kill him, we make zero, but we could sell him and at least make some money. And that's shady right there. Uh, so hopefully your family's not that bad. And uh, so Joseph was in the pit and we learned about what do we do when we face the, the test of the pit, that in life we will find circumstances where we feel like everybody's done us wrong. It's, we're all up against it. And you have to ask yourself some of the difficult questions that when you're in the pit. And so just a great sermon from, from Delano, and I would encourage you to go pick up the CD. But this week we will continue the story and the life of Joseph. And, and, and like I said, I love it because no matter what he was in, he seemed to give his best and do his best. And, and today we're going to look at something that I think we all relate with. The, the whole point of this series is this, is that Joseph began life with a dream. A mental picture of what he thought could be because of what he felt God had spoken to his life. Now, here's what I know about you. You've got a dream. You've got a mental picture of what you want in your future, don't you? And I'm hoping that that's the God-inspired mental picture, right? Not, not, not the you-inspired, but the God-inspired one. You, have a ment- you ever think about that? You ever dream of, if you're single, you dream up about what marriage will look like. Or maybe if you're married, you dream about maybe what the future will look like. Or maybe, maybe you, you look at your career, you dream about where your career could go or your business could go or different elements of your life. And you have a dream. And in life, you come up against these obstacles. Or many times, I really believe that God brings about tests in your life. And today, we will look at the test, what I'm going to call the test of stewardship. The test of stewardship. Because here's... Here's how I've looked at my life. Every once in a while, you find that, that life throws you a curveball and you have to overcome the pit. But sometimes God gives before you an opportunity to do the right thing, even when you can get away with it. Or he gives you the opportunity to give your best or do your best, or you can mail it in and kind of just do the least. You ever been there before? You ever had a moment where you were tested, challenged? You ever had a moment where you had like a decision to make to go one way or to do the right thing or do the bad thing to treat a person one way or the other? And you're like, this is this is a test. How am I going to how am I going to handle I had this instance. I was um, when we lived in San Jose, we lived in an apartment complex that had the underground garage building. And uh, and 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 I used to park in the because we had assigned parking. I used to park in the same place every single time and i'd gotten accustomed to the to the flow of the garage you know where you come in you spin around this way you whip it in this way you know you get comfortable with your spot and i was also comfortable with the fact that the spot behind me was always empty because nobody lived in that apartment building and so one day i i back up because that spot is supposed to be empty and i hear a crunch sound and I back into this tiny little emerald green Jetta, old school model, little V-dub Jetta. I'm like, and you, you know, you know that feeling, right? You ever crunch somebody or crunch something? You, you, 
I just think I just threw up a little, you're like, oh my God. Because you think about the damage, you think about, you know what. And I get out, and you know what, the damage is not that bad. I look, and I, I see there's some red crumbs underneath from where I had busted his, uh, his brake light. And I look at it, and, and, and you know what goes through your mind, right? No. Now we know what goes through your mind, though. And so, uh, you know what went through my mind? What went through my mind was like, that jerk. He's parked in a place he shouldn't even be parked. This is his fault. And your natural response is to blame, you know, blame somebody else for, you know, why this happened. Or then, and then I'm thinking, you know, the second thing I thought was, you know, it's not that bad, actually. I bet it would be weeks before he even noticed. I bet, I bet, as, as, as fact, I thought I could just sweep those little red crumbs up and no one would ever know. And, and he is supposed to be there. And I had, you excuse, right? You come up with every reason why it's not your fault and why you shouldn't have to. And then, and then you're like, cause you know, the, the challenge is to do the ethical thing or to do the high character thing and to leave a what? I leave a note. And so you're, you're battled. And I'm like, man, I ain't gonna leave no note. He shouldn't have been parked there. That ain't his spot. He has been unethical to me. And that's why this happened. He got what he deserved. And you have this test. Oh, and you don't want to pass it. But you know it's the thing that you ought to do. And, and, and so sure enough, I remember being challenged by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit basically said, hey, is this, is this worth your character? Is you leaving a note and you paying for his taillight, is that worth the price of your character? I thought, oh, you got me. And I also thought, because I've shared this story with other people before, and they're like, I had the same thing happen to me. And then it dawned on me, I think the Holy Spirit has like the same conversations over and over with all of us. I bet the Holy Spirit's like, God, I say the same thing all the time, you know. And so, so that test took place. And you know what? I did, I did leave a note. The guy ended up being a super nice guy. Ended up, it didn't cost me much. It just replaced his taillight, whatever. And so, but, but it was those, te- and I could feel the tension and the test. And I want you to know you've got those in all kinds of different shapes and forms. You have these tests of how will you respond? Because I had the opportunity to take care of his stuff. Or just to be the guy that didn't leave a note. Because my car was fine. I had no problem with my... Where it hit me on the bumper, it was like it didn't even... I could just wipe it off real quick. And so... But you have these moments. And, 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 and this is the moment that, that you see Joseph having the same thing. And I want to share with you something real quick that I think... If, if all I gave you was this right here, what I'm about to give you, this alone is worth the price of admission. Are you ready? Luke chapter 16. Look at what Jesus says in these words. He says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's stuff, who will give you stuff of your own? Now, I look at this scripture, and I've read this scripture before, I've thought about this scripture before, but I think this scripture gives you the ultimate kind of blueprint because here's the question I would ask for you, and I kind of know what the answer is. How many of you want God to give you more, entrust you with more, be able to bless you with more, give you more opportunity, more responsibility? Then really what Jesus is saying is, is that there are three ways, there are three kind of determining factors or things or areas that he judges and looks at. And the first one was this. How do you handle seemingly insignificant things? How many times in life do we have something where we're like, oh, that's not a big deal. Oh, nobody will care. Oh, that's not that bad. Oh, that's not that big of a deal. Whether it's our spouse, our kids, our job, moral decisions. We have these moments where we're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. And Jesus would say, actually, the way I determine if you can handle more is how you can handle the seemingly 
small things. The second thing that he said was this, is that I, I, actually, I actually look at how you handle money. And how you handle money to Jesus, and I can back this up with a lot of different scriptures, is an indicator of how God can... Because you're a steward. You're a money manager. And if you manage money really, really well, what he's saying is, is I understand that you can manage other things well. Because money is probably the most difficult thing to manage. He says, how you handle money, that will be an indicator if I can trust you with more down the road. And then the third one was this. The third one was, how do you handle other people's stuff? Like, when, you know, when you borrow from your neighbor, you know, and, and you don't return it. <laughs> You borrow from your friend and then you break it and then you don't say nothing about it. You borrow from, you, 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 got, you got company time, you got company things, you got things that are not your own. Jesus is saying these three things are the areas that, now I got quiet up in this Methodist church here. I just want y'all to know, like, I don't know if conviction just said it. I don't know if all y'all are like, oh, dear Jesus, no. I don't know what y'all are going through, but what I want to do is encourage you that from this point forward, no matter what you've done in the past, from this point forward, make it a point to always be thinking, what do I do? With the seemingly small things. And what do I do when it comes to managing money? How, how do I do with that? And what do I do when it comes to being faithful with other people's stuff? Because what Jesus said was, that is the greatest indicator of how much I will be able to entrust you in the future. And now enters Joseph and his test of stewardship. Let's pick up Genesis chapter 39. The Bible says this. Joseph has gotten out of the pit. Uh, basically, a, a band of merchants and gypsies found him um, and, and got him and bought him off of the brothers. And they take him as a slave down to Egypt. And as he gets down there, they would have slave auctions. And somehow, they don't get into the description, he got from the slave auction and the gypsies into this guy named Potiphar's house. And Potiphar was a kind of a chief ruler. Most people think he was a military general of some kind for Egypt. He was a big deal. And now he is in this predicament. So the Bible says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, that Joseph found favor in the eyes or in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time that he put Joseph in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian, not because of the Egyptian. The Egyptian was a pagan worshiper. He would have been worshiping frogs in the river and the sun god and all this other stuff. But the Bible says that the Lord blessed that guy, not because of that guy, but because of who? Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care and Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except what I was going to have for dinner. Now, how many know that's incredible trust, isn't it? Like, I don't manage my own money. The guy that's in charge of my money, I feel like is so trustworthy and so honorable, so high integrity. I, he can have the checkbook. He can have the passwords. He can have everything. That's how much I trust this guy. I just, I, I just don't know what I'm going to eat for dinner. So what's, what's for dinner? And so 
This is the stewardship test that you see. And and now this is where we have to begin, though. We have to begin with the idea that the Bible says that Joseph was prospered by the Lord. And here's what, before we go anywhere else, you've got to buy in. Because if you don't buy into this, nothing else I'm going to say is going to matter. You've got to believe that God actually wants to prosper you. You've got to believe that. Because if if you don't believe that, then doodle jump or something. Nothing else I'm going to say is matter because what many of us, we fall into two different categories. Either number one, we don't believe that God actually likes us. We don't believe that God wants to prosper us. As a matter of fact, some of us believe God wants to get us. You ever ever feel like that before? I was talking to a a young lady in my church uh, just this past week, I believe, and she said, I struggle many times with trusting God because in the back of my mind, I think God's going to get me. And he's going to get me like something tragic is going to happen. Somebody's going to die. I'm going to get sick. Something, something awful is going to happen so that God can get me. And if you think God is the, and your image of God is the guy in the sky that has like the, the, the magnifying glass. And you're the ant. And you're his fun project for the moment to see if he can zap you with some sunlight. That's kind of fun. But anyway, if you think that's what God is like. Then, then it's going to be a hard time accepting what I'm going to tell you today. So you've got to eventually know who God is and know that God loves you. You've got to believe that. If you don't believe that, we, we have to struggle with that. The other thing that I find that Christians run into and the kickback to this idea is this, is they don't believe that, that God's not good. They believe God's good. They believe prospering is bad. Like, oh, no, you're not supposed to prosper. Prosper is bad because you grew up in a church that, that thought God wants to keep you poor so he can keep you humble. And, and, and God made me this way. And I'm supposed to be so that God, I can stay under the boot of God and not get too big, you know, for my own self. Right. That, that's the idea. Or we've gotten this kind of aversion to the because uh, there, there is there's been a pendulum swing in Christianity in the last 20 years to where certain people took the idea of prosperity and, and jumped off into the deep end of, of cuckoo land. Right. Like, like, you know, like everybody just name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and everybody needs to drive an Escalade. And get, they got weird, okay? I don't want you to go there either. Does that make sense? When I talk about the idea of prosper, what I mean is this. And here's what the Hebrew word for prosperity literally means. It means to push forward. So it's not to say that everybody needs to be here. That's not prosperity. What prosperity really is, is that your life is headed in God's direction. And that God is pushing you forward. That where your life is headed, let me put it like this. The idea of prosperity is this, is that success and prosperity is not a destination, it's a trajectory. Or do we need to sit on that for a second? Now, let me say it again, that success and prosperity is not a destination, it's a trajectory, meaning like, is my, is my life trajecting and moving in the right way? That's what I'm talking about, like to push forward. And what I believe is this, and I see this all the time, is that I just want your life moving forward. I want your life headed in an upward direction, an upward spiral. Many times we look at life and we realize it's not, though. We look at categories of our life and we're like, well, my finances are tanking or my marriage is going down the toilet or this is all bad or things with my work. All, no, no, no. Look at your life and say, is my life headed in the direction that God is in an upward trajectory? And now I believe that God wants me to grow faith to faith, glory to glory in an upward direction towards his perfect plan and will for my life. Now are you with me? So how many believe God loves you and God wants you to prosper and that that means that your life is headed in an upward trajectory? Because wouldn't life be just crazy if we felt like God wanted us to prosper? Because the Bible says that with Joseph's life, it just seemed that he had the Midas touch or the, the, the just everything turned out wonderful. Everything he touched turned to gold. I mean, uh, that's what Potiphar's 
you know, figured out in his head everything this kid gets his hands on. It just turns to gold. Don't you want that for your life? That whatever I get involved with, it just begins to move in an upward direction. Everything I get involved with, it's got God's hand on it and I'm moving in the right direction. That's what we all want. So here's the big question. How do I get? And this is the question we all want to ask ourselves. How then do I get the favor and prosperity of God on my life? We all want that, right? Here's, here's how it works. The key to prospering is the presence of the Lord. If you look at the whole life of Joseph, there's a phrase that's repeated over and over again. Whenever you find repeated phrases like this, you know that the author's trying to drive an idea home. And what he's trying to drive home in the life of Joseph is this, is never forget that the only reason Joseph was able to do anything, achieve anything, accomplish anything, or overcome anything is because God was with him. I did this study through the, uh, through the life of Joseph with my son, and, and we had this phrase in my house because the way the phrase works, and again, this is like several times through the life of Joseph, it goes like this, but the Lord was with Joseph. And I had my little four-year-old daughter repeating that through the house, but the Lord was with Joseph. So can we get a little churchy up in here? Everybody say, but the Lord was with Joseph. That's the key to life right there. This is where, this is where life begins to make sense. This is where the trajectory begins to take off. It's because God's presence is with you. Now, now let's, let's make a theological difference here. I'm not talking about God's presence being in the, in the sense that he knows all things and is in all places. God is omnipresent. He's always everywhere. Does that make sense? He don't go places he... You got there, he was already there before you got there, and he was still back where you left from. So we're talking about the fact that God's presence is in different ways, in different times, in different places. And throughout the Bible, you can see this, that God's presence would be in a tangible way, in a seen way, in a felt way, in a heard way, in a way that made an impact on the situation totally different than God's just omnipresent on him being just... Super duper. You know what I'm talking about? So, so we want the tangible presence of God on our life. And that is, in essence, what we call like the favor factor. Like God putting favor on your life is when his presence is always with you. That no matter where you go, God was there before you got there. God's backing you up when you walk in the door. And, that, and this is really what favor is. is, is it, it's God putting you in the right place at the right time with the right people and then tipping everything in your direction. That's what the presence of God in a tangible way on your life, produces. And that's what we all want. Which, today what I'm going to do is unravel the chain reaction of how we get that. Because, see, the key to the presence of the Lord is obedience. I didn't get no amen after I just said that. I just, did you hear that, baby? Nobody amen that one right there. Everybody was like, favor, amen, yeah, bless, amen, obedience. And so... The key to the presence of the Lord is obedience. And, and, and we, all, we, we all just witnessed it. We normally... How many, we like it when other people do it, don't we? How many like it when your kids are obedient? You like it when your boss, you like it when your employees, you like it when other people leave a note on your car. We like it when other people do it. But when we think about obedience, there's a tension that takes place in our own life. But obedience is the truest indicator of whether or not God actually has our heart or not. Let's read these scriptures here. Isaiah chapter 1. The Bible says this. If you are willing and what? Obedient. You'll get, you're going to eat the good of the land. You know what that means? That means it's going to go in your favor. It means God's going to put the favor factor on your life. You will eat the good of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Hmm. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Now, now here's the radical notion of what we just learned here. And I'll back it up again, is that obedience is what triggers and brings the presence of God. How many of you would agree with that so far? We're tracking. Okay, y'all are going to like this part. Disobedience does the exact same thing in the opposite sense. That if obedience is what attracts the presence of God, disobedience is what actually removes him from the equation. Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 11. He says, see, I'm setting... I love it. It sounds like a parent. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you what? Obey the commands of the Lord, your God, that I'm giving you today. And the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord, your God, and turn away from that, I have commanded you today by following other gods who you don't even know. And so here we find that the key to really get now, we all said a minute ago, we were all happy about it. We all was like, yeah, I want the presence of God on my life. I want favor over my life. I want God putting my life in an upward trajectory. And then we kick back. And I'm telling you this is that, that obedience matters to your heavenly father. And obedience is something that is attainable. I don't want you to get out of here and be like, man, well, I can never overcome or I just can't get it. You can and we'll show you how today. But know this obedience makes the difference. And when you read scripture, there's some incredible accounts of disobedience. Killing it for folks. When you find Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin. What do they do? They go into hiding. Eventually they have to get out of the garden of Eden. Why? The the presence of the Lord couldn't be with them in the same way because their choice to disobey. You see it in, in all kinds of different people throughout. You see it in the life of Cain. Cain disobeys the Lord. Like the God challenges him before he ever commits the sin. and says, don't do it in essence. And he does it anyway. And he literally, the Bible says that Cain was banished from the presence of the Lord. You see it in the life of David. You see it in the life of Samson. As a matter of fact, Samson's got to be the most peculiar one to me. The Bible says that he was given incredible favor to do great things for God, but was always jacking it up, always making mistakes. And God was incredibly merciful with him. But eventually it's, it's, it's almost a scary scripture because what the Bible says is, is that after Samson had disobeyed time and time and time and time again, the Bible says, he, it says, I got up to go do what I'd always done. But I did not know that the Lord had left me. Wow. And to think, like, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just, maybe we have an arrogant assumption that, well, God will always just forgive me. Or God will always be there. God will always pick up the pieces. God will always go. And then one day we get down the road we're like, hey, I have so rejected God and so disobeyed God that God's presence, just, he just, he's like, look, if you want to do it on your own, you're on your own. That's what you've chosen to do through disobedience. We never want to put ourselves in that situation. And so the, the goal is this, is that in every sense where we are given a test or an opportunity, we obey Even before he finishes asking the question, the answer is yes, we want, and that is our heart to obey. Now, that's kind of hard, though. That's the hardest part of the whole equation probably right now. Now let's keep working through it because the key to obedience is faith. Many of you think the key to obedience is work harder, try harder, be more self-disciplined. And that's where we feel almost defeated, right? Because we think, man, I've tried. You ever tried to overcome a certain sin or tried to overcome a, 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 a trait or an attitude that you have that you know is ungodly? You think, I just can't do it. And the, the reason why you can't do it is because you think it's self-discipline. But actually, the Bible says that the key to obedience is faith. You have got to believe that, that God is with you. You have to believe that God strengthens you. You have to believe that God's able to do it in you and through you. But you're also, you've got to believe that God will reward you. You've got to believe that every time God gives a command in Scripture, that attached to it is a blessing. As a matter of fact, this, think about it like this. When you read the, the, the Ten Commandments, there's only one commandment that has a promise attached to it. And it's the promise given to children. And it says, children, what? Obey 
your parents. For this is good. And if you do so, God will reward you. And all throughout Scripture, you've got to remember this. Every time God gives a command, there is a reward and a blessing attached to it. That's why he gave you the command. He actually gave you the command so that you would, if you would obey it, it would produce the best life possible for you. Because God is a loving father. And every reason there's, every time there's a, there's a do not command, it's because there's a reason. And the reason is that if you disobey in those areas, it's not even that God's going to get you. It's that that will produce some type of negative outcome in your life. And you've got to have some faith in your heavenly father that he is good, that he has your best interest and that he does indeed know best. We, we have, a, I have, I have a kind of a guy in my life right now who's struggling with the tension of wanting to go out as a young man and kind of sow wild oats and be wild and revert back to and, and versus be faithful and be diligent with what God's given him now. And I'm telling you, this is the tension many times we face. We face the idea of thinking, well, sin would be so fun. And in the short term, you may be a little bit right. I, it, there, there may be some level of fun or satisfaction in the short term, but here's what I know, and life has proven this out. And any of, any of, any of the older couples or older people in this, they will attest to this. What you thought would bring you short-term satisfaction or short-term gratification ended up producing long-term pain and misery. And you see what I'm saying? And only life's experience can give you that. But young people, I want you to listen to me. Like, like don't, don't have to learn everything the hard way. At some point, you know, because it's, it's smart to learn from your mistakes. It is wisdom to learn from other people's mistakes. Move forward and say, you know, I just need to trust that God, if I obey, I believe with all of my being that if I obey God, even though it doesn't make sense in the now, that God will work it out in my future. And so I've got to believe. I've got to have faith. Listen to this. Hebrews 3.18 says this. And to whom did God answer or did God swear that they would never enter the rest or his rest? If not to those who what? Who who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So what what he's saying is this, is that their disobedience was related to and connected to their what? Their faith. It, It always is. It's what do you believe at the core of your being of who God is and what he wants for your life? Because if you believe that God's going to get you, you're going to live in fear. If you believe your decisions have no consequences, you'll do dumb things. But if you believe that what you do matters and it matters to God and obedience brings the favor on your life and you believe that as I obey, great things will unfold, guess what? You're more likely to do. And if you believe with all your heart that if I disobey God and I reject God long enough that eventually sin will cave in on me. This is what we believe. Your faith and your obedience are always connected. Now, last part of the chain reaction. Are you ready? Last part and we'll wrap it up. The key to your faith is hearing the word of God. The Bible says it is so plainly, I can't even, it's so simple. Romans ten sixteen says this, but they have not, what, obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, key verse here. So then faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what? The word of God. This word hearing, I think, is a, it's a suitcase word packed in with a bunch of meaning and idea. It means that we hear it, we receive it, we meditate on it, and we practice it. We hear it, we receive it, we meditate on it, we, we speak it, we confess it over our life. We, 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 it, it encapsulates all those ideas. So, so what we have to do, here, here's, let me just challenge you with this. What are you listening to? Because most of us, when we, when we think about maybe the, the, the things that we listen to, you're not hearing the word of God. Well, hey, what are you reading? And, and look, I know some of you love those kind of goofy novels. 
you know, with the vicar and the, and the, <laughs> I don't want to get into it. I see it all the time. They're like, what are you reading? And you got this, this steamy love novel. Remember Fabio from back in the day? Anyway, uh, like, what, what, what are you reading? What, what, what are you reading? Sometimes it's not a trashy love novel. I'm not, I'm not saying that, I, but what are you reading? What are you listening to? Where are you at on Sunday morning? I'm, you're here now. I'm preaching at the choir, but like, you know, I, I don't know where you're at last week or the week. I, I don't know. I don't keep an attendance record. I'm not like, got him. Right. Nope. You know, I, I don't do that. I don't do that. Where are you at on Sunday morning? What are you listening to? What are you reading? Where's your life? Where is the word of God in your life? Me and my wife had an interesting conversation. We were talking about this last night and, and I never heard her frame it like this. And then I reflected on my life and I thought the same thing took place. When I became a, a new believer and a Christian, I actually did not get saved inside of a church setting. Um, I had kind of a unique personal experience in my bedroom where I just prayed to God for the very first time. But after I began to follow Jesus, God gave me an incredible desire to know the words of God and the Bible. And I'm telling you what, I, I didn't go to Bible studies, I Bible studied. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, I did sometimes, but like I, I went out and got a study Bible and I just began to read and read and read and read and read. And I tried to absorb every single thing that I could. And I'm telling you, my accidental falling into the Bible is the most powerful thing that ever took place in my life. Outside of knowing Jesus for the first time, the thing that made everything stick for me, the thing that made everything work out, the thing that began to put all the pieces together was me living the word of God, reading the word of God, hearing the word of God. I mean, I went to church Sundays, Wednesdays. If they had a Saturday thing, I'd go to Bible studies. I'd fellowship with like new Christian guys that I would meet. I would read and read and read and study the Bible. I was so hungry to know more. And my wife had a similar story that when she became a Christian, she had two female mentors in her life and they both pounded into her the same idea. You get in the word for yourself You don't wait for a pastor on Sunday morning You get into the word for yourself You get into the Bible for yourself You read, you study, you meditate on the Bible for yourself And I'm telling you, and I've always said this And I, again, I say this because it's worth repeating If I could somehow Jedi mind trick you I would do a lot But if I could just Jedi mind trick you once And I only had one shot And you could say, Todd, you could, you could somehow Jedi me into any one thing I would have every person make reading the Bible a part of their regular routine. Well, what about giving? Yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, church? Yeah, that's great. No, no, no. Here, here's why. Because if you were in the Bible and reading, receiving, hearing, meditating on the Bible, the words of God, I wouldn't have to worry about church. I wouldn't have to worry about your giving. I wouldn't have to worry about your sharing your faith or, you know, your marriage. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, things, you'd work, it would work itself out slowly. But I'm telling you, it all begins that really if we, and this all goes back to the original question. How many want God to favor your life? Bless your life. How many want your life moving in an upward trajectory as God in the direction that God, yeah, we all want that. We all want that. How does that come? It comes from the presence of God in a tangible way being all over your life. The presence of God shows up in a tangible way because of obedience. We become more obedient through our faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Of God. I don't know about you, but I want to live out my dream. It's not enough to dream a dream. I want to live the dream. I want to see it take place. I want to, I want to get to the end of my life and say, well, I was able to like live in the dream. Not just dream the dream, but experience it. And it all comes from this chain reaction as we follow and obey God. I hope that you're on that same journey. I hope that you buy into the journey of Joseph. And that one day, you know, in, in, in the next days to come, you're going to face a test. How are you going to treat that person? How are you going to respond morally? What are you going to do in this situation? And I want you to pass the test of stewardship. I want you to do incredibly well with what God has given you. But it will 
It will largely be because of the presence of God on your life. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of this place and be challenged and be motivated and be inspired, Lord God. Not just, we all want your presence, God, but not to just start there by saying, gimme, 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 but God, to actually start with your words. Say, God, above all, I'm going to make your words a priority in my life. And because of that, my faith will be built and obedience will come naturally. But because of that, because of my relationship with you, I will see you moving and working in my life in an incredible way. And because of that, my life is going to have an upward trajectory. I'm going to see you, God, do great things in me and through me. I'm going to get to experience the dream and not just dream the dream. Because, God, you are with me. And so today, if you're in this place and you say, you know, I've never really felt the presence of God. And I, don't, I don't know that God is with me. And I, I didn't know God was for me. And I didn't know God actually liked me. And if you say, Todd, I want that in my life and I've never really had that in my life, then I want to encourage you, today's the day. And many of you need to take that very first step of saying, I need Jesus in my life for the very first time. And for others, you, it's, it's a repentance thing. It's, it's you acknowledging today that, you know what, Todd, I have not been obeying the Lord. I haven't been uh, reading my Bible. I haven't had faith to obey God. And I, I'm struggling. And I, I want to turn that around. And so if you're in here today and you say, Todd, today's the day that I turn it around, then I want you to slip your hand up in the air. Say, that's me. I, I just haven't been living that out. And that's why, the, that's why the favor of God hasn't been on my life. It wasn't God's fault. It was my fault. And I, I, I want to reconnect with my heavenly father. Just slip your hand up in the air. Do it now. Yeah. Say, that's me. I haven't been obeying the Lord. I, I, I want to see God move in my life. If you're in here today and maybe you've never, you've never invited Jesus into your heart, today's the day. And so here's what I want us to do as a church family is I want us to pray a prayer together. I'm going I'm to lead you in a prayer and I just want you to repeat it after me. And we'll all do it together. Everybody repeat these words. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. Help me to know you. I pray that you would give me a desire to know your words. That you would build my faith to trust you to follow you, to obey you, even when I don't understand. Help me, Lord, to follow you today and every day for the rest of my life. It is in your son's name that I pray. And give me the best amen you got today. Amen. Yeah, can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?